to do each and every Sunday to bring one with you that you can read along. You can always follow along on the screens as well in our series through the book of Romans called Made Right, because what we're learning is we can't make ourselves right. It's Jesus who makes us right. Amen. And uh, we find ourselves still this morning um, in Romans chapter 9, really verses 1 through 13. I'm going to break this down for you. Um, A lot of questions, you know, have come up this last week, and I love it. I love questions that come up about the Bible, Uh, in particular, these uh, chapters 9 through 11 here with regard to God's plan for the nation of Israel. You know, there's still much confusion. There's so much uh, that's out there on the internet that people look to and they read, and then you go, how do I choose between one organization and another? You know, we we love Israel, right? That's why we go to Israel, right? And you go, but but do we have to love the Jews too? I mean, people literally ask that question and you go, yes, you know, uh, we, we don't, you know, we don't agree with everything you know, that our Jewish friends do or what the nation does, just like we don't agree with everything that our own country does. Um, but we support, you know, the nation of Israel. We believe in the promises of God to Israel. And uh, again, we affirm those. And as and we're always excited, like I said, to be able to go and support the nation uh, in each time that we travel there. Um, and so, you know, again, I want to invite you to, to join us in that. You'll, you'll, your Bible will come alive for you. You'll never study the Bible the same way uh, if you ever travel to Israel because it literally just becomes 3D to you. Start. I knew when I first came back after the first trip, it's like I'd go to teach. I'd want to stand a certain way. So I'd go, okay, if I'm standing this way, I'm not facing the temple. I need to turn this way because I could see it in my mind's eye. And uh, it's such a wonderful thing to, you know, gives you just such a better grasp of the word of God. But we love the nation. We love the people. We love what God's doing. And uh, there's so much that we can glean and learn as we study this. And it's important. And so uh, we're going to look at, I titled this morning's message, Our Faithful God. And one of the things I shared with you last week, you know, when people, you know, say, you know, gosh, uh, you know, you know, we read scripture and we see that, you know, just from history that the majority of the Jews today have rejected Jesus. So does that like negate the promise of God to the Jews? And you go, not at all. Uh, God, you know, declares to us, I shared with you, you know, from the book of Revelation that he's kept back a remnant that have not bowed their knees. And uh, so again, we're, we're so blessed in what God is doing in the nation of Israel and what God's purpose and his plan with regarding to us. There's really only two groups of people that you read in scripture. There's the Jew and then every other person is called a Gentile, a non-Jewish person. And so we're Gentiles, scripture says, who've been grafted into the promise of God. And this is all part of God's plan. It's, you know, as Isaiah says, that his ways are high above our ways. And sometimes we just scratch our head. Well, this is one of those chapters or these three chapters that leave a lot of people scratching their head. And so we want to you know, again, I, I use this phrase all the time, you know, with you is that, you know, how do you eat an elephant, you know, one bite at a time is to walk through it because it's so important. If you, if you get this and you really understand what Paul is desirous to communicate here, it's really life changing. That's, that's why it's so important because you start to comprehend the faithfulness of God amidst unfaithfulness. You know, the scripture says that, you know, that even when we're faithless, you know, God remains faithful for he can't deny himself. But that, that's both positive and negative in one respect. I mean, God is also a judging God, and, and, and he will judge you know, the nations one day, and he's faithful to that promise. He said that he was going to do it, where a lot of times people will make a statement, but then they'll go, ah, okay, I'm not going to follow through with it. So there's a positive side of that, that God is faithful, but there, you could say there's a negative side too if you're on the negative side of that promise. 
is that God will fulfill his word, that even when we are faithless, you know, God remains faithful. He has always been faithful, and he will always remain faithful. And that's really what Paul is, is wanting to drive home today. And I think about, you know, of all the Sundays, you know, like this, any time a church experienced loss, and it's not just Leticia, you know, we've had you know, people in our church family that have been ill. We've got people that are out. I got a text from Kevin this morning that he's out with COVID. Um, you know, just it's, you know, everything goes on in life, you know, injuries and just uh, illnesses, sickness, disease, so many different things, you know, that we, we go through in life. And I, I thank God for the body of Christ where we can come and we can find comfort, we can find encouragement, we can find hope, we can be reminded, even in the midst of pain. You know, I, I share with you, you know, um, I always think a second service, you know, Vesalius and you know, just the struggles that he's going through, you know, he's got cancer and, and he's had all kinds of surgeries. And, you know, I remember just talking with him one day and you could tell he was in pain. And this guy, you know, when you think that he's, he's older now, but uh, in his prime, I mean, this guy, you know, I use it as an athletic term. This guy was a stud. He was a, he was an international uh, soccer player and uh you know just live life to the fullest and you know now you know his body's you know as paul said this tent you know this body that he has it's fallen apart and you know he's hurting you know and but yet i see him sitting right there in the second row you know in, in second service and and i'm talking with him and he's like you know mike i you know, i love his accent too and uh he's like you know i'm i'm in a lot of pain he goes but i i i want to i want to be here i want to worship jesus you know and it's humbling because, you know, it, there's, there's so many people that are enjoying great health and everything else. And, you know, church is the last thing, you know, from their mind. And here's a guy that, you know, is in pain and he's suffering and, and you know, easily could have, whether you call it an excuse or, you know, an explanation of why he would stay home. But he's like, there's something in you that, you know, pulls you. And then the reminder that, you know, hey, one day, you know, one day we're all going to get a new body. You know, we're all everything's going to be perfect you know one day this isn't the day but we have a hope and then to be able to come and to stir each other up to to remember that because the world we live in today i mean jesus said it best didn't he, he said the thief comes to what to steal and to kill and destroy I mean, he wants to steal your joy rob your joy kill your joy everything about life and so you know part of coming together in the body of christ is to again as larry was admonishing us in worship is to fix our gaze you know back to heaven and uh, that's what we do this morning, and I just join you as we do that. So we're going to open up with a word of prayer, and we'll read it as we go along here. Um, but just bow your heads with me, and we'll pray. And Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for just a sweet time of worship. Um, Lord, just it's always fun to watch new people come into the uh, worship life of our church. And they just love you, and, and uh, just how sweet it is. And you could you could tell today there there's a, there's a brokenness, uh, Lord, I know. Uh, for Larry, um, Leticia worked for him and and uh, had a close relationship with him. And um, Lord, but you know, I know he feels the need today. You just you press in and you press on. And so I pray comfort for him and and uh, for Mona, just the the team there um, at Northern Digital, who will just experience that loss for uh, all the women in our women's ministry and and stitch together and all the things uh, that Leticia was involved with. Uh, um, Lord, I pray for comfort and peace in the hearts of those women that are hurting today. And, and we understand that. And Lord, just may there be extra grace, Lord, for them today. And for those that are sick, uh, those that are hurting amongst us, uh, dealing with 
disease and cancer and just uh, pain in life and all the things that are part of this world because of sin. Uh, Lord, uh, may it teach us to hate sin and uh, so look forward to heaven where there will be no, no remainder of it, no reminder of it. Everything will be made new. And uh, Lord, thank you today that uh, Leticia is home with you. Thank you for her faithfulness in this life and may her rewards be great in heaven today. And uh, Lord, just thank you for each person here, those that would be watching online. Uh, just use your word uh, to teach us and to train us, Lord, to shape us and to mold us, God, uh, to transform us. There's so many things that vie for our attention that want to fill our hearts and our minds. And so it's good to set our minds on the things of God and on your word today. And so we invite you to have your, your will, to have your way with us. Uh, we give you this time. We give you this day. We give you this week in advance. Uh, Lord, just go before us even now. Draw us close to you as Larry was leading us in worship that of, of all the things that you desire for us today, it's not for us to go do something for you, but to simply enjoy you today, that you're here in this place and, and in your presence is the fullness of joy. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just knit our hearts together in your love as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, uh, last week, you know, as we looked at chapter nine, I shared with you, you know, the heart of the apostle Paul that here's a guy that, you know, I mean, he's willing to literally give up his own salvation that the nation of, of Israel, you know, could be saved and saved. And yet Paul knows, you know, um, that the nation of Israel has failed. You know, he, he was there in the book of Acts. He, he was part of, you know, the persecution, you know, against the church and uh, saw, you know, the fact that not only had Jesus come to his own and his own knew him not, you know, as the word of God says, but they rejected him and ultimately, you know, they crucified him. And, and like I said, nobody knew this better than the apostle Paul because he had been a persecutor of the church himself. And so again, you know, if anybody could get the log out of their own eye, you know, before they get the speck out of their brothers, you know, as the word teaches, that was the apostle Paul. And, and I think of the Apostle Paul, I'm always reminded of Jesus' words, you know, where he said that those who love much have been forgiven much, right? And you think about all the things that, that Paul had done, you know, he said in his zeal, you know, that he persecuted the church. I mean, he stood by, you know, literally as, as, the, as the coat rack, as Stephen, was, you know, the first martyr in the book of Acts, you know, was killed. Um, you know, he was a murderer in his heart and uh, watched it being played out and, and thought, like I said, that he was doing a, a wonderful service, you know, for the Lord. And yet, you know, he, he came to this understanding, you know, when Jesus came to him, uh, you could say it knocked him off his high horse as it was. And, and uh, again, opened his eyes to, to truth that he realized that, you know, what he believed was, was misplaced. You know, I, I share with you often, you know, that, that phrase can a person be sincere and yet sincerely wrong? And, and there's areas of all of our lives where we are. We're sincere about, you know, what we believe, but we're wrong. Um, I know I'll get to heaven one day and there's many things that I you know that I believe that, you know, I thought were right, that I'll, I'll find that, you know, uh, they weren't. Uh, the only thing I know that won't change is the fact that Jesus is Lord, amen? And that the way of salvation is only by Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. You know, so the essentials I get, but there's all kinds of, you know, things that are, that are not essential and uh, that, you know, again, they're, they're wonderful truths that, you know, we, we believe and we hold to, but like I said, we get to heaven and, and all those things aren't necessarily true. And so we thank God for his amazing grace in our life. 
And so, you know, when you, when you study, you know, the book of Romans that I shared with you, you know, that, you know, when Paul ends, you know, or actually begins and ends Romans chapter eight, you know, when he talks about in the very beginning there in verse one, that there's no condemnation, like I said, and then he ends the, the chapter with there's no separation. That's like the, the pinnacle, you know, of, of the book of Romans. And then, then all of a sudden his heart just goes into this place of brokenness. And literally to the point of tears, and you, you find that about life. Man, one moment you can be happy, you know. I mean, my wife was happy when she left, you know, the house today. And I, she gets here to church, and I'm looking in her eyes, and I go, you know, you're doing okay. And, you know, and she gets here, and she hurts because people hurt. And I can see the, you know, the tears, and she's grabbing Kleenex, you know. And I said, so you loading up? Yeah, yeah, I just don't know, you know, don't know where this will go, you know, but... But God is good. And so life is just this ebb and flow, you know, of ups and downs. And that's uh, one of the things I appreciate about the Apostle Paul, because so many times in the body of Christ, you know, we, we put off this, this, you know, persona that, you know, we have to have it all together, right? If you've discovered that you don't have to have it all together, the good news of the gospel is what? That Jesus has it all together. Amen. And once we get that, you go, you can rest and you can, it doesn't mean that we're free to just be whatever we want to be in that respect, but we're free to be everything that God wants us to be. And we're at liberty and there is a freedom there. And so, you know, Paul here is, is leading into these, these next three chapters, you know, cause I, you would think, I mean, if I, if I was writing the book of Romans, I would have went from Romans chapter eight to Romans chapter 12, you know. And I would have skipped 9, 10, and 11 just from the general reading of it because you think right after this real, you know, high point, go into then, you know, what should we do? Well, don't be conformed to this world, but what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So think on these things all the time, right? Stay in the, in the positive mode. And yet Paul allows himself, he goes, you know, off this cliff, so to speak, and his heart's just broken for his countrymen because they have failed miserably. And, and you think, you know, so why would, why would Paul put that there. And it's so strategic when you understand it. And that's why it's so important to cover this because once you really get it, you understand what he's dealing with is the issue of election and predestination, you know, and ultimately the faithfulness of God. And, and the question that, you know, that begged to be asked, and I asked it, you know, last week and I ask it again today, you know, because if God isn't faithful to Israel, what confidence do you have? And do I have that God would be faithful to me? You see, you know, what God had done through the nation of Israel through the Old Testament. And so you remember, you know, as you look at, you know, these chapters, um, it, it's real important, you know, that we, we pick, you know, what Paul is pointing us to see here in Romans chapter 9. Like I said, it deals with Israel's past, but it's not just their past, it's their, their past, you know, you think about election, that God chose the nation of Israel. That's what Paul's going to draw out here in chapter 9. And then in, in chapter 10, Paul deals with the present tense, you know, of Israel. Where, where's Israel at today in Paul's day? And ultimately in our day, in these last days, is the rejection of the majority of the Jews as Jesus as the promised Messiah. But because God's faithful, and that's the overriding theme of chapters 9 through 11 here, then you jump into chapter 12 and you go, what does chapter 12 remind us? Well, that ultimately that God is going to what? He's going to restore the nation of Israel. That we have a God who, you know, again, I uh, shared this with you last week and remind you of again this week, you know, the Jesus parable of the uh, good shepherd, you know, that has a hundred sheep and, and he's got nine, 99 of them, you know, right there, but one goes astray. And what does he do? He leaves the 99 and goes after the one, right? 
And you go, that's not just a great reminder that, you know, oh, God is good. It, it, it's not just for the one sheep that you go, oh, I, I'm, I was lost and now I'm found. And we, we sing that and we talk about it. But it's a comfort of the reminder of the faithfulness of God that even to the 99 that haven't strayed is to say, if you strayed, guess what? The good shepherd would come find you. He would come after you and he would bring you home. And that's really in, in chapters 9, 10, and 11, that's what Paul is doing is he's wanting to remind the, you know, the church of the faithfulness of God. And I think it's always important, you know, when the church comes together that we're reminded, you know, of that. And so, like I said, kind of breaking this down when I look at, you know, Romans chapter 9, uh, for you to really study this out. You know, we, we look in verses, you know, 1 through 13 there and we see God's faithfulness. And that's kind of what we'll, we'll look at here this morning. And then we see God's righteousness. We'll get into that, you know, next week, um, verses 14 through 18. Then we see God's justice in Romans 9, 19 through 29. And then God's grace at the end of the chapter there in verses 30 through 33. Like I said, I wanted to focus on his faithfulness, you know, knowing that, you know, once we understand the faithfulness of God, when you, when you settle that in your life, that God is faithful to you. And I, and I share this with you all the time. Don't I? I say, was God faithful a year ago? Was he? Was God faithful in your life a year ago? This is participatory. Was he, faithful, was he faithful six months ago? Is he faithful today? Okay, if he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, will he be faithful six months from now? Will he be faithful a year from now? So no matter what goes on, right? And then that takes us back to Romans 8. Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, right? So what would really happen in your life if you really believe that? Would it change the way that you would live in the now? If you fully 100% truly believe that and you go, absolutely it would. You'd start going that old expression, you know, don't sweat the small stuff and just remember what? It's all small stuff. You know, you'd have this, ah, what's it really matter? Well, we get worked up over all kinds of stuff, right? Thinking that, ah, oh, you know, because we lose sight of the bigger picture. And so what Paul is doing and it's such a beautiful way and such an intellectual mind. He's bringing us to that place to understand the faithfulness of God. You look there, as we read last week in verses one through four, he says, with Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ if that would save them. They are the people of Israel, chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. He made his covenants with them, and he gave them his law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. You know, and you look, what is Paul doing? He's wanting to remind them and take them back to their past understanding, you know, to better understand the faithfulness of God, that God hasn't changed. Like I said, that whatever we're going through, you know, God is forever faithful here. And he is in this place. He will be with you. He will lead you. He will guide you. Uh, you can trust him. He has not changed. And so Paul's reminding, you know, like I said, it, everyone who's reading this, even us today, that God chose the nation of Israel. So the question that comes you know, to mind today, and it's one that we need to answer is, why did God choose Israel? 
Can you answer that in your heart? Because that's what you need to be able to do. He did it for a number of reasons. To reveal himself, you know, his plan, his purpose. And ultimately, he tells us to do what? To reveal his son. To reveal Jesus Christ to the world. Look there again in verse 4. It says, they are the people of Israel, chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. So you think about how did God show himself faithful? We see this in these verses here. Number one was adoption. Again, he elected them. He chose them. You know, no other, think about this. No other nation on earth can claim that they were God's special people like Israel can. Israel was adopted by God himself. You know, Exodus 4.22 says, Israel is my firstborn son. He adopted not just an individual, he adopted a nation. You think about that. He was an election of just a person, but a nation as a whole. He adopted them into his family. And remember, you know, when you think of the name Israel, what does it mean? It means governed by God. He elected a people, he elected a nation to be governed by God. The same way that you and I, Jesus said, if we come to him, we must deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow him is to come under the government of God. You know, Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world. You know, and, and so we, he's establishing a new kingdom. That's why we pray, my kingdom come, my, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God, the government of God being established in our lives. Deuteronomy 7, 6 says, for you are holy, a holy people who belong to the Lord your God. Of all the people on the earth, the Lord your God has chosen you to be his own special treasure. Man, what a privilege, amen? The children of Israel. How about his presence? You know, you think about, you know, look at verse four in Romans nine there, the very presence of God. You know, Exodus 13, we see this is the first time it's mentioned in scripture in verses 21 and 22. It says, the Lord went ahead of them. Remember the children of Israel as they were going through the wilderness, right? It says, he guided them during the day with a pillar of a cloud and provided light at night with a pillar of fire. It says, this allowed them to travel by day or night. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud, uh, or the pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. And so what did that do? I've shared this with you, you know, often as we teach through this is that, you know, there was all kinds of false gods, right? But they were territorial gods. You had a God of a mountain, you had a God of the desert, you had the God of the sea, you had the God of the wind, you had the God of the rain, the God of the sun, the God of the moon, but they were just these little tiny gods, right? False gods, but they're gods nonetheless. But they noticed something different about the God of Israel. They said, the God of Israel, he travels. You know, he goes to the mountain, he goes to the valley, he goes to the sea, he's in the wind. He's in... And you think about this, when Jesus was on the boat, right? Why is this so significant? All the disciples, remember the storm is, is coming and, and the winds are blowing, the seas are raging and everybody gets scared. And Jesus stands up and what does he do? He speaks, right? It says he calms, calms the wind, he rebukes the seas. And they're like, <gasps> you know, and you go, yeah, but there's a God who what? Who tabernacles, he's with them in, in all and everything that they go through. And the rest of the world saw it. And so here's the thing today, you know, you'd think, Leticia's family has a choice to make. Her friends have a choice to make. We have a choice to make as a church today. It'd be understandable, you know, to crawl up in a ball. We're human. You know, we hurt. Maybe that's what God would call you to do. But maybe God would have you. I remember when Greg Laurie lost his son, Christopher, who was killed in an accident, you know, going to work. And I remember that next Sunday I watched the service and there was Pastor Greg there. 
in Riverside, and he was standing at the pulpit. And he had one moment where he was a little choked up, but for the most part, I mean, he, he just let on. And people asked him, they said, well, you know, why are you here? And he's like, where would I want to be? Of all the places on earth, I want to be with, with God's people. I want to be worshiping Jesus because that's what my son is doing right now. He's worshiping. I can't bring him back, but guess what? I can go to him one day. And how is that, how is that accomplished? You go, understanding what? The faithfulness of God. You know, I started writing some notes, you know, I'm considering this, doing a book on this. It's called What If? What If? And I'm just, for about the last two months, I've just been compiling these what if. That's kind of how I start anything that I'm going to write about. I just compile information about it. And my overwhelming thought all the time is, what if it's not about me? What if everything in this life is about Jesus? And to look at that, and it's challenging, it's convicting to me, that to look at everything in this life as if it's about Jesus. Would, would that change your perspective? Would it change the way that you live? And, and, I, and I think about this, you know, that here's the God who is right there, you know, with the children of Israel all the time, right there with them. He never leaves them, never forsakes them. He's by their side. And you go, should that change our life? And you go, yes. You know, when Jesus said to those in the boat, he said, get in the boat. You know, we're going, we're all going over to the other side. You know, like I said, the, they should have been climbing the mast when, the, when the, the seas were, you know, tipping and everything else. They, they should have just been having a blast. But what? They were panicked by what they saw. They weren't comforted by God's word. And so we come back to God's word. What did God say? Because God is faithful to everything that he said. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. And to come back to his word again and again and again. The third thing that we see, we look back at, there from verse four, you know, the covenants. Covenants. The covenants of God are different from a contract. I try to explain, you know, a contract is, is, is an agreement that two people make that don't trust each other, right? Because you're saying, oh, we'll, we'll sign a contract because if you fail, then you got to do this. You know, it's never about, you know, a covenant. A covenant in the truest sense is a bond. That's what the word actually means in scripture. It's a bond. And a covenant is something that two people who have a love and a trust come together. And really the ultimate thing when we see a covenant is a covenant you're bound to regardless of what the other person does. See, in the world, the world looks at how do I get out of fulfilling my obligation to you if you mess up, Right. That, that's what a contract does. So how can I hold you responsible? You don't want to say, you know, how do I hold myself responsible? But a covenant, basically we go back to the Abrahamic covenant that God cut, remember with Abraham, that starts every other promise, right? Is that he cut that covenant alone. Go back to Genesis 15, you can read that. He caused a great sleep to fall over Abraham, right? And then he cut that covenant alone, binding himself to the promise of our salvation. Cause he knew that if he made it a contract between man and God, guess what? We'd all be in hell right now because we failed. And so God bound himself. He made a covenant and there is a difference there. And, and he's given the covenants to the nation of Israel. And then they flow over to us as well. He also gave them the law. You know, you think about, you know, uh, our Bible. I mean, think about this. Out of the 66 books of the Bible, 64 of them were written by Jewish people, right? I mean, the only two books in the Bible that weren't written by a Jew, hey, we could do this as a thing. Maybe we'll do this second service. Have Kimberly get some kind of food item or something to give away, coffee and a, and a quiche or something, you know, in the coffee shop. What two books in the Bible? So Kimberly, are you with me? 
Watch for hands here, okay? This is, you can, I just, this is spontaneous here, okay? Feeling led of the Spirit this morning to be gracious to you in this area. So be looking here. What two books, and John Jones cannot play this game. Sorry, John. John's already disqualified just by virtue of the fact that he walked through the door. Yeah. No, he would defer to you anyway because John would just love you and he would, he would reward you with that. What two books of the Bible are not written by a Jewish author? Raise your hand if you know the answer. You can play Matthew. Well, no, you, well wait, maybe you can't because this is in my notes. Oh, you can't because it's in my notes. He's reading it. Sorry, you're disqualified. That's like those things of friends and family of the organization. You're an employee. Sorry, you can't. Anybody at all? Somebody raise their hand. Yell it out. What two books? Luke and Acts. See? <laughs> John, knowing the, how the law and grace works, he whispered to Emily, Pastor Mike did not say, honey, you couldn't play the game. So Emily yelled it out. So, so Kimberly will get with Emily and she gets a, a coffee and a quiche from the coffee shop any day that you want. If you don't want it today, you don't have to get it today. But Kimberly will get you lined out there. But think about that. You know, we, we owe so much to our Jewish friends. Amen. I mean, to have the Bible that we have, whether we appreciate it or not. I mean, painstaking care they went through. You think about the priesthood in the temple. You know, God chose the tribe, what, of Levi as priest who prepared and carried out the sacrifices within the temple so that what? So that people could enjoy the blessings of God. They could enjoy what? Fellowship with God. Yeah. Promises. How many of you have ever counted up all the promises in the Bible? You ever went through your Bible and written them down on a piece of paper? You think about that, you know, as believers, I mean, promises. There's promises in there that God wants us to, to claim. Um, if you're as confused as I am, there's, there's, <laughs> if you ever Google that, you'll, you'll get about 700 different answers for that. It's, it's almost funny. But this is the one I trust the most. 8,810 promises in the Bible. 7,487 of those are promises that are made from, by God to us. That's a, that's a lot of promises. You know, but God first promised those to the nation of Israel. They, they would be a people, there would be a place, there's a land, there would be a purpose, you know, for their lives. Um, you know, again, and ultimately that the promise of God, Jesus, the Messiah would come through the nation of Israel. Precious promises that we have from God. Then you look there in verses 5 through 13, and it just shows how, you know, faithful God has been to the nation of Israel. Again, he just goes back over their past. He says, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, their ancestors and Christ himself was an Israelite as far as the human nature is concerned. And he is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. And again, the faithfulness of God's clearly demonstrated here, you know, and how God chose Abraham, you know, from this one man, though he was old, he was infertile, an entire nation you know, was born. Uh, all the way up to Jesus Christ. So everything about Jesus, we could say, is, is Jewish, his background. But he's also, that says, according to his human nature, but he's God. He's the eternally blessed God. And Paul, like I said last week, he proclaims or exclaims that, you know, with a resounding amen. Then you look there in verse 6, and he says, and well then, God has, has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? He says, no, for not at all, all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's family. So Paul's making it clear, though the majority of the Jews rejected Jesus, 
like I said, is the promised Messiah. That hasn't changed, you know, God's commitment to the remnant who do believe that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Verse 7 goes on, it says, And being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. For the scriptures say, Isaac is the son through your descendant who will be counted, though Abraham had other children too. This means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of promise are considered to be Abraham's children. For God himself has promised, I will return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. This son was our ancestor Isaac. When he married Rebecca, she gave birth to twins, but before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, she received a message from God. This message shows that God chooses people according to his own purposes. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. She was told, your older son will serve your younger son. So Paul here, he's using Israel's history you know, to show that you know, God's covenant with his people remains intact. Like I said, even though the majority of people have rejected Jesus as the promised Messiah. And so, he, again, what he wants us to understand is that you know, God's choosing you know, has nothing to do with our ancestors. It has nothing to do with human performance. It doesn't matter who you're related to, and it doesn't matter how hard you, you know, work at keeping the law of God. God operates on what? the basis of divine election, you could say, you know, that's why God can say, you know, the older will serve the younger, even before they were born. So Paul gives two examples, you know, from Israel's pastor, he uses Abraham and Isaac. So both of them had, you know, sons, Abraham had Ishmael first, and then he had Isaac, but the promise was not to the firstborn, you know, though that was the cultural, you know, um, understanding. It's what the, the cultural law demanded you know, that the firstborn would receive the inheritance, but you know, God skips over him and says, but here, you know, again, the promise skipped the firstborn, went directly to the secondborn, to Isaac, the son of promise. Ishmael was the son of his flesh. Isaac was the son of promise. The same thing happened with Isaac and Rebekah. They had two kids, remember? Esau and Jacob. Esau, the firstborn, he should have gotten the inheritance under, under the cultural law, right? But he didn't. So the promise of the birthright went to Jacob. And then it says something in this where people get really tripped up in verse 13. It says, in the words of scriptures, I love Jacob, but I rejected Esau. And again, that's an important word, you know, because in many of your translations, it says, you know, I love Jacob, you know, but I hated Esau. And, and again, when you think about that, it's, it's troublesome for, for many people. But you have to remember, you know, this is a quote from the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. So it's been a thousand years plus, you could say, since the time of Jacob and Esau, since they were born. So Malachi is writing with regard to the nations that were actually born out of uh, Jacob and Esau here. So out of Jacob came the nation of what? Israel. And out of Esau uh, came the nation of Eden. So when you think about Edom, um, you know, we think of the Edomites, right? They were the sworn enemies of God. They hated the worship of God. They hated the children of God. They hated everything about the nation of Israel. They hated the Jewish people. So Malachi is not speaking of Jacob in a personal sense or Esau in a personal sense, but rather he's talking about the descendants of Jacob and Esau, you know, from these two sons, you know, came two what polar opposite, you know, nations here. Um, and hopefully that helps bring some clarity to that, you know, that it wasn't a personal thing. Um, it was like I said, it's the descendants that came from them. But we understand, you know, the doctrine of God's, you know, election here. 
and man's free will, that, that's hard to comprehend. I mean, we, we wrestle with that. Uh, again, because why? Because scripture teaches both the election of God and the free will, you know, of man. And again, I, I mean, you can think on it so much. I mean, you feel like your head's going to explode, you know, just trying to, it's like, ah, and you give up on it. You don't have to give up on it. The, the key is to know that, you know, his ways again are what? Higher than our ways. And you can trust the Lord. You know, God's faithful to his promise. And, and again, I always love what Pastor Chuck, you know, would say, go never trade what you do know for what? For what you don't know. Okay. So hold on to the, the scriptures that you do. And again, and uh, trust in you know, the Lord to reveal to you in his perfect timing. And he always does uh, those things that you don't. You know, but to think that God and, and can and does, you know, predestine us before we're born. I mean, we love that, you know, that God chose you. Think about that today. He chose you before the foundation of the world, right? You go, wow, I'm glad to be God's elect. And he goes, but you also have to choose God. And you go, how does that work? And you go, I don't know, but scripture teaches it. So what are you going to do? You know, you can't just say, well, if he chose me, then, you know, he chose me. And he goes, no, he's making it, you know, perfectly clear. You know, some commentators would say, you know, God chooses us, but he calls us to choose him in return. I, I love this illustration that Pastor Chuck Smith gave, or Pastor Skip Heitz, excuse me. He said, to try to illustrate this point, he said, there's a flight is about ready to leave London. He said, and fly to New York. He said, it's a Boeing uh, 767 airline. The destination is determined. The route is already predetermined by the property authority. The FAA has determined it as well as the ICAO, the International Civil Aviation, bless you. Uh, it's predetermined. He says, but aboard that plane are passengers who have chosen to fly. They have chosen which airline to fly. They have chosen which day to fly. They have chosen where to sit. Uh, they don't, if they don't want a window, they, do, they want an aisle, they sit there. Nobody wants the middle row though. He said that. He says, but up to a certain point, they've made a choice. And once you're on board and the flight takes off, then you have the freedom. What does the, what does the pilot usually say? You know, you reach altitude. He said, you can take your seat, seat belts off and you're free to move about the cabin, right? That's one of the luxuries of moving about the cabin. And uh, you can talk to different people. You can go use the restroom. You can go back, you know, in the galley. You can move around. You can stretch, whatever it is. You can eat a meal. You can play on your computer, read a book. You can sleep. You can pretty much do whatever you want to do. Just can't smoke in the restroom. That's one of the things they tell you you cannot do. But there's a lot of freedom. He said, but on the airplane, it's carrying passengers to a predetermined port. So you have things at play, but, and you have freedom, but there's also sovereignty and there's also authority. They don't contradict one another. That plane is going where it's predetermined to go, but while it's going there, there's freedom along the way. And, you know, for some that, that won't help at all. You go, but for some that just kind of, you go, Okay, that gives me a glimpse anyway, and I, and I hope that it does, you know, that, that again, God has the ability, he, he is able to choose, he's sovereign, you know, we believe and we teach in the election, we, we believe in the predestination of God, but we also believe and we teach in the free will of men, that they're, they're not in complete opposition to one another. God chose you with the freedom to choose him in return. Look at verse six again, and then we'll close. He says, well, then has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? He says, no, not at all. All who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. And, and the point I would make there is, you know, being born doesn't make you a family. You know, uh, being born again, you know, is what brings you into the family of God. You know, it's like that saying, you know, if I, uh, you know, if I go to church, does that make me a Christian? 
You know, can you go to church your whole life and never be a Christian? Yeah. I like what Billy Sunday, he was a great evangelist, uh, fiery evangelist at that. He said one day, he said, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage doesn't make you an automobile. You know, and you, you kind of picture that and you go, it's so true. You know, uh, another author put it this way, you can be numbered amongst God's people and yet not be one of God's people. Okay. In the New King James, that word among is the key word. You know, you think about that. No, for not all who are born to the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. Why? You must be born again. Isn't that what John chapter 3 tells us? Nicodemus, who was a Jew, came to Jesus by night. And Jesus, you know, rebuked him in that. He said, Nicodemus, you're, you're a Jewish leader. You don't know this? That which is flesh is flesh. That which is spirit is spirit. You must be born again. That's a choosing that you and I make. Isaiah 59.1 says, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear, but your inequities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And scripture tells us, you know, we have the ability to do what? To repent. If we confess our sin, scripture says what? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a choice. See, the Jews thought since, you know, they were children of Abraham, they, they were born into salvation. The same way when I was raised Catholic, I thought I was saved because my parents, you know, had me baptized at birth and, you know, all the things that went with it. So I thought, you know, I'm in because my parents took care of that. My parents took care of everything, right? That's what parents do. They, they, they got your salvation for you just by virtue of a relationship there. Uh, so I understand, you know, how the Jews felt about that. You know, Ishmael was the son of Abraham. You know, Esau was the son of Isaac, but neither were sons of promise. So no one can say, like I said, my mom and dad are Christians or my grandmother was a faithful believer. So that, that makes me one too. You know, really the question today as we close is, you know, if you're here today and you're wondering if God chose you, you know, maybe you're asking the wrong question. The Bible says that God did choose you and he's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. You know, God's plan does include you. The question that probably begs to be asked, does your plan include God? Does your plan include God? And so you can choose Jesus and discover Jesus chose you. He said, you love me because what? I first loved you. So don't, don't think for a second, you know, you go, well, God, he's against me. You go, no, God is not against you. I mean, to think that if God did not spare his own son, what he was willing to allow his own son to go through for you. For me, there's nothing that he would hold back from us. His greatest desire, and this is what Paul was driving home, you know, with the Jews, is that they didn't understand God is so faithful. He, he has not changed. His desire is that we be saved. He's chosen you, but in love, he's given you the freedom to choose him in return. And my hope today is that you choose Jesus. I guess many people, you know, it's been well said, you know, the difference between heaven and hell is, is a mere 18 inches. The difference between your head and your heart. You can know all of it in your head, but until you receive him in your heart, you won't be born again. And so my hope is, like I said, you, you want that peace, you want that joy, you, you want the, to understand the faithfulness of God, is open your heart. Understand that 
You know, Jesus didn't come to call the righteous to salvation. He came to save sinners. And Paul would say of himself, he goes, of which I am chief. When you recognize there's, there's no fear. So I, don't have to, I don't have to be so proud to go, I've got it all together. I don't. I have a God that's got it all together. Amen. And to throw ourselves on the grace and the mercy of God that he who called you is faithful. And he will not, he will not ever let you go. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. Lord, thank you for your life. Lord, thank you that we have an opportunity to, to choose you, to understand, uh, Lord, everyone is savable, but not everyone is saved. And Lord, I pray for each person here that, God, we can say that in our heart, that I've opened my heart to Jesus and I found the forgiveness of my sin. It's why you came, you lived. It's why you died. It's why you rose again. Uh, the greatest promise of Israel and to Israel was that Jesus, the Messiah, would come and he would save his people from their sin. Lord, may we never lose sight of that. You came to save us from our sin. And thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you that, Lord, we can enjoy imputed righteousness today. That what was on your account is placed on ours and what was on ours was nailed to the cross along with you. You took our sin and you bore our shame so that we could know peace and joy and love and freedom, all the expressions, Lord, of you and who you are. And Father, so we pray, Lord, for this church, we pray for our community, we pray for our world today, that your word would go forth in might and power, that we'd water, that we'd plant, or that we would, as Paul started this whole account in the book of Romans, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation. And Lord, we're not ashamed today. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for choosing us. Lord, thank you for coming for us. And thank you that one day you'll come again for us. Until then, Lord, may we be faithful, Lord, to you. We love you. We bless you this day as we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.